Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditation pleasing to you, a rock and a redeemer. Amen. Well, some of you may know, uh, my family and I, uh, we live uh, a couple of blocks away from church. A couple of blocks uh, south and then, uh, then east of church. And uh, we bought our house about two and a half years ago. About two and a half years ago, or about six months uh, into the pandemic, and in our house, uh, it's a small two-story brick house, a small two-story brick house, uh, which kind of makes it a lot like all the other small two-story brick houses uh, in our neighborhood, except this small two-story brick house, a realtor might say, is really special. See, uh, our house is, uh, is the kind of house that a realtor would look at and say, you know, this one's got a lot of potential. Now, if, uh, if you're among the uninitiated, got a lot of potential uh, is code for this one needs a, a lot of work. And, uh, and for better or for worse, and uh, there are days that I really wonder, for better or for worse, uh, those five little words, got a lot of potential, uh, those words are like, catnip for Andrea and me. I mean, we, uh, we, uh, we seriously, I think, have a problem because uh, we hear those words and we get really excited because we are always, always, for better or for worse, ready for the next home improvement project. And you know, this, uh, this sort of thing, it's kind of hard for us, at least it's kind of hard for me, uh, to hide from our neighbors. I mean, they already knew what kind of house this was. And, uh, and when you're the kind of guy who leaves the house, but you're also the kind of guy who leaves the house in a white Tyvek jumpsuit with a respirator and hearing protection in the afternoon, you start to draw some attention. And you might even get some questions. And those questions, uh, they usually start innocently enough. I mean, those questions usually start with someone saying, uh, hey, what are you doing? And then you might hypothetically, in the middle of last summer, respond with something like, nothing much, just taking apart the roof. I mean, I seriously think that we have uh, some problems, but you see, all of those questions, eventually they end up in this place. Where did you learn how to do that? Now, if you've, uh, if you've ever tried to set the clock in your microwave, uh, or if you've ever tried to replace the, the filter in your furnace, then uh, you might know where this answer is going. How did I learn how to do that? Uh, the answer to that question is, I learned on YouTube. You see, if, uh, if you want to set the clock in your microwave, there is a YouTube video for that. And if you, uh, if you want to change the filter in your furnace, there is a YouTube video for that. And if you want to take apart your 100-year-old clay tile front porch roof, believe it or not, there's even a YouTube video for that. And if you, uh, if you got the kind of problem that I do, uh, then the best of these videos, uh, they tend to be the videos that are taken by a guy who's using his smartphone and, uh, and, and when he takes these videos, uh, he might say, hey, my name's Larry. You know, sometimes uh, Larry, or whoever's recording these videos, uh, sometimes uh, he shows you something that you think seems pretty hard, but it actually ends up being pretty easy. 
You know, when you watch these kind of videos uh, and, and you're able to do it, you feel like you are the king of the world. But, you know, other times, uh, these videos, uh, they show you something that seems pretty hard, and it actually is pretty hard. And, uh, and they usually end with uh, someone saying something like, you know, if you are not a professional, you probably don't want to do this. And, uh, and what owning our house uh, a couple blocks south and a couple blocks east of here has taught me is that a sane person, a sane person listens to these videos. Because when you're watching them, you need to know what kind of video you're watching. I mean, are you watching the kind of video that's going to teach you how to do something? Or are you watching the kind of video that's going to teach you that you really need somebody else? Now, uh, just a few moments ago, uh, we heard the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. What I want to suggest today is that this passage, uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, is not a video about how to avoid temptation. You know, I, I say that realizing uh, that it does teach us some things about how to avoid temptation. I mean, we've even preached a, a sermon uh, about that, uh, but it's not its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is not to teach us how to avoid temptation. Its primary purpose is to do something else. So in our time together today, what I want to do is, is two things. Uh, if the job of this video is not to teach us how to avoid temptation, then, then what is its job? And why do we have it? Or, or perhaps better put, why is Jesus out in the wilderness? So that's the first question I want to ask. And then I want to ask, uh, well, if that's all the case, then what does this passage say to us about the kind of times that we do find ourselves in temptation? I mean, what do we do moments like that. So first, uh, I want to ask the question, you know, why, why do we have this passage? Why is Jesus out in the wilderness? You know, the answer to that question actually takes us back to the, uh, the first reading uh, that we heard today. And the first reading that we heard today, it's, uh, it's the story about, uh, about the fall into sin. And, and this story is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. The story is one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it teaches us three very essential things about the Christian faith. You see, first, it teaches us that in the beginning, God made a good world. You see, on every day of creation, uh, after God's made what he's made, he looks down at it and he says, it is good. And then on the last day of creation, uh, when he makes us in his image, uh, when, he, uh, when he instructs us to be fruitful and multiply, when he tells us to take care of the earth, uh, God looks down on us and he doesn't say that we are good. He looks down on us and he says that we are very good. So first, God makes a good world. That's the first essential thing that this passage tells us about the Christian faith. Uh, the second thing is this. Second, we blow it. I mean, our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, they are given everything that they need. They're given everything they need and, and even more. And, uh, and that's not to say that we can't imagine a time where Adam and Eve might get curious 
A situation where they might say something like, you know that tree over there? I wonder what it tastes like. Or, you know, I, I wonder why God made it, or I wonder what it's used for. I mean, it's not hard to imagine a situation like this, but it is hard. It's actually impossible to imagine a situation where they think something like that, and then they conclude, you know what? Maybe God's hiding something from us. See, it's impossible to imagine a situation like this because Adam and Eve always trusted the Lord. They always trusted the Lord until a, a serpent comes and the serpent asks, did God really say? You ever fall into sin starts with a question like this. Did God really say? I mean, uh, two friends, uh, some coworkers, maybe a couple get into a fight. You know, it fractures the friendship, uh, destroys the marriage, creates a, a division, and, and then that broken relationship, it just remains unrepaired forever. You see, before there's a sin, there's a question. Did God really say? Did God really say that there can always be an opportunity for forgiveness? You know, I uh, see this one pretty regularly. Uh, two kids, uh, but it could be two teenagers or, or two adults. Uh, two kids uh, get into a fight about... Uh, about who gets to play with a toy. You see, before there's a sin, there's a question. Did God really say? Did God really say that he'd provide everything I need? And you know, you can come up with example after example after example, because every fall into sin starts with that question, did God really say? And what we inherit from our first parents is this sense of insecurity, the ability to wonder, can I really trust God? You know, every time uh, that we sin, it's because we give the wrong answer. You know, that's what happens to Adam and Eve. Uh, did God really say? And then all of a sudden, they aren't sure. And so they eat the fruit and they blow it. And they break God's good world. And ever since, we've followed them. So first, uh, God made a good world. Second, uh, we blow it. But third... God wasn't willing to let it stay that way. If you want to know what the whole Bible is about, it is this. God wasn't willing to let it stay this way. I mean, this is the promise that he makes to Adam and Eve. One of your offspring will crush the serpent's head. And, and that's why God later chooses the people of Israel, his Old Testament people. He chooses them because they're the descendants who are supposed to put God's broken world back together again, to crush the serpent's head, to redeem and restore what was lost. So God made a good world, we broke it, but God wasn't willing to let it stay this way. 
See, those are the three absolutely essential things that this passage teaches us about the Christian faith. But at this point, you probably find yourself wondering, all right, so what does that have to do with Jesus being out in the wilderness? And the answer to that question is pretty simple. You see, God chose Israel. God chose the people of Israel to be the people through whom God would crush the serpent's head to redeem and restore his broken world. God chose Israel. They were called to be special, but they blow it. And they blow it again and again and again. And they blow it just like we blow it. And so God, God sends us his son. Now, if, you are a, if you're the kind of person who, uh, who likes to nerd out about things in the Bible, uh, then there is this really interesting play on words that happens in the Old Testament See, many of you may know uh, that Jesus is often described as God's son. Uh, The interesting play on words is that Jesus is not the only one in the Bible uh, who is described this way. He's not the only one because uh, a couple of times the people of Israel, uh, God's Old Testament people, they're described as God's son. If you go all the way back uh, to the book of Exodus, God says uh, to Pharaoh through Moses, he says, uh, Israel is my firstborn son. And then uh, a little bit later uh, in the prophets, uh, in Hosea, God says through this prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. You see, before, uh, before Jesus is God's son in the Bible, Israel is God's son in the Bible. And that's why you'll often or sometimes uh, hear Jesus described uh, in this one particular way by pastors and by theologians. Sometimes pastors and theologians, they'll describe Jesus as Israel reduced to one. And the idea is that when God's firstborn son blows it, when the people of Israel blow, when they, when they fail to crush the serpent's head, when they fail to redeem and restore God's broken world, God reduces them to one. God reduces them to Jesus to get the job done. You see, Jesus isn't out in the wilderness to show us how to avoid temptation. Jesus is out in the wilderness to do the job that Israel couldn't. And Jesus is out in the wilderness to do the job that we can't. Did God really say? You see, I don't know about you, but I try to fight this battle almost every single day. I try to fight the battle of temptation, and I just don't win. And so Jesus, Jesus goes out in the wilderness, and and three times the devil asks him, did God really say? And three times Jesus wins. He trusts the Father. I mean, he trusts the Father all the way to the cross where he is willing, 
Even though he doesn't want to, he is willing to give his life for us. I mean, we broke God's good world, but God wasn't willing to let it say this way. And so he sent his son, who trusts the Father so much that he gives his life for us. And if that isn't winning enough, three days later, God raises Jesus from the dead. You see, this passage... This passage isn't a video on how to avoid temptation. It isn't going to to teach you how to do that. It's going to teach you that you need someone else. And baptized in the name of Jesus, that's exactly what you've got. I mean, you belong to him. Earlier in my sermon, I I said that... uh, that I wanted to do two things. Uh, first, I wanted to answer the question, what's, what's the point of this passage? I mean, why do we hear it every single year? Why is Jesus out in the wilderness? And the reason why is he is out there to do what we can't. And he's there to, to remind us that even though we can't, we nevertheless belong to him. He doesn't show us how to do it. He shows us that he has already done it for us. You see, second, I wanted to answer the question, what does that say for us when we find ourselves in times of temptation? Now, I really have preached whole sermons on this, and, uh, and they basically boil down to this. You belong to Jesus. And so when you find yourself uh, in times of temptation... When you find yourself uh, wondering if I can really do this, I mean, this is hard, and I want to give up. You can look at your temptations, and because you belong to Jesus, you can say, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm with him. Or, you know, when you find yourself in the situation where, uh, where your will says one thing, but God's will says another, uh, because you belong to Jesus, you can look at your temptations and you can say, no, I'm with him. And, you know, when you, when you feel discouraged or when you feel like uh, you're beat down because it is just, sometimes it's just hard to trust the Father You can remember that you are not alone. And Jesus, Jesus has already won the battle. I mean, he's won it out in the wilderness. He's won it on the cross. And he's won it at an empty tomb. And and because you belong to Jesus, because you're baptized, because you're with him, it changes everything. Because the battle has already been fought. The battle has already been won. And, you know, that's not to say that it's always going to be easy, that that you'll always be successful. But it is to say that when you find yourself in a situation like this, you can say to your temptations, no, I'm not going to do this because I belong to Jesus. I'm baptized. I belong to him. You know, that's the thing that changes everything for people like you and me on a day like today. And that's the thing that changes everything as we face all of our temptations in the world around us. And that's the thing that changes everything for the hope of the whole world that we find ourselves living in. It changes everything as we follow him. In the name of Jesus, amen.